1: going to be in First Thessalonians chapter two, and the last time we covered, you know, really the intro to Thessalonians, right? You have First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, and then all the chapters within Thessalonians. And I think what I really enjoyed, and I'll, I'll give you a little personal story about me when I was growing up and the churches that I went to, but I love the fact that we really covered a lot of teamwork. And that's what we try to do here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields. What's the biblical model? There's nobody who's, uh, who would be pushed to the side who can't serve or volunteer in some way. We have a lot of committees. We have a lot of things that we do, VBS. We never tell anybody, no, you can't serve, you know? Uh, so we try to kind of come together in teamwork. I enjoyed going through the scripture. The apostle Paul is explaining this young church kind of basic principles, uh, in Christian ministry. And today, the message is titled, Spiritual Parenthood. So you kind of see this this church as an organization uh, from a different angle, so to speak, right? And I think the title says everything. Just to give you an idea, you know, when, when I was young, you know, my parents, it was, I came from a broken home, and my parents would kind of send me to, you know, send me and my sister to church, and they didn't even go themselves, but... Uh, it just wasn't the type of denomination where people got to know your name, uh, try to get you on board, try to get you involved. So it was kind of weird. You go to church, and then you leave, and this could go on for months, and you don't know anybody. So I'm a boy, I grow up, I become a man, right? I become a teenager and then a young adult, and I stray from the faith, like major, you know. And there was nobody who knew my name. There was nobody calling me up, Hey, Joe, how's it going? Right. There was nobody praying for me, uh, sadly enough, but, uh, God had his hand on me. And, you know, we try to do things different in this church where we try to, you know, make connections with people. And that's very important, right? It's, it's all over the scripture. So we're going to look at this in four parts based on the apostle Paul's teaching and, you know, what, who's doing it right, who's not doing it right, and how can it be better? So jumping in in verse one, The Apostle Paul says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, it was another town in that area, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. So one out of four is dangerous but worth it. And folks, we really, really know what we believe, and if we're truly adherence to our belief system based on the difficulties that can come as a result of practicing our faith. And sometimes that's lost on American culture, but unfortunately, I say unfortunately, in our culture that's changing. According to the Family Research Council, in 2023, just one year, last year, they documented 436 hostile incidents against churches. I didn't know it was, I knew, you know, I do follow the trends, but I didn't know it was that high. Synagogues as well. So again, we come, we've, we, we, you know, we come together, we practice our faith, but when you're under fire, so to speak, um, you really know, do I really believe what I'm practicing here, right? I know. I know I do, and many of you do as well. But the Apostle Paul says to the Thessalonians, Listen, we, we suffered bringing the gospel to you, but it wasn't in vain. And we covered this in the last chapter. He's looking at them, and he sees that it was worth it, the difficulty, where they are now in his time. There was a lot of joy that was brought to the Apostles and his, his helpers based on how this little church started up, and they were doing really good, even though Paul couldn't get there a lot of times. Uh, very exciting. Verse 3, he's telling the Thessalonians that their lifestyle, message, and manner was as pure as it can be. And then sometimes you, you read the scripture and you could get the wrong impression if you don't have the context. Why is Paul saying this? Well, number one, there were false teachers. So Paul's saying, not only did we preach to you the truth, but we practiced what we preached. And we're going to get to the part about ministry template for today, right? How do churches follow this template that's right in the scripture? Well, we should be. So number one, Paul had to dispel or contradict some of the false teachings and the false teachers that were just there to get money from them and just teach whatever. And we see that today. Two, there were some that I guess maybe were jealous of the Apostle Paul or had a grudge against him. Uh, You could be doing everything right and people still don't like you. So newsflash, you know, and right. (laughs) From your response, I many of you have experienced that, right? But I'm just trying to do everything the way the Lord would want me to. And why is this person giving me such a hard time? So you don't have to be doing wrong to get persecuted, right? Um, but you know, Paul had to dispel those those false accusations that were coming his way, and he went the extra mile in being above board and and you know doing the right thing because of some of the the rumors that were out there. So you you look at this. Uh, and and you ha- I have to kind of explain the gospel here for those who are not familiar with the gospel, new to the the church and the teachings of, of of God through His, you know, appointed people. But what is the gospel? The gospel for God so loved the world, John three sixteen, right? He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe on Him would not perish but have eternal life. So the gospel—it's a broad tent. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you come from, what language you speak what culture you're from. That's a really big tent. God wants to see everybody saved, and that's what the scripture tells us. So the gospel is something I'm sharing with you now, but it's been shared for the last 2,000 years since Christ, and people are getting saved, which is a wonderful thing. So continue on, verse 4, he says, there's just a lot packed into these few verses, but as we Have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, not as pleasing people, but pleasing God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children." So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. And he keeps saying that, right? So two out of four is a ministry template for today. Verse 4. We weren't man-pleasers, we were God-pleasers. And this is something that in sort of our denomination, we've had this discussion. Are you a man-pleaser, a woman-pleaser, or are you a God-pleaser? Sometimes, sadly enough, some Christians feel pressure, social pressure, to go along, to get along. And almost the attitude is, well, God's not sitting right here staring at me while he's in that chair, so I'm going to go along with making my audience happy and God will forgive me later. But no, we're supposed to please God. We're supposed to tell the truth, especially in spiritual manners and matters. And if people get upset with us, they get upset with us. So he says we weren't man-pleasers, right? We were God-pleasers. And I got to tell you, you know, if you've been a Christian long enough, you will preach to an audience that might be hostile. And, you know, or even have a discussion with your friends and all of a sudden they're giving you these looks. And you're thinking, well, wow, I thought this would be received nicely, but it's not. I had a a funny story. Um, Years ago, my friend, uh, he introduced me to a guy who, I'm not going to use his real name, but he was in the adult football league, men's adult football league. And this dude was like a Kodiak bear. He was a a mountain of a man and he wanted to meet me and he wanted to talk about spiritual things. And on the field, I'm not going to say his real name, but on the field, his name was, and he loved the name, his name was Crazy Johnny, right? Crazy Johnny. So, this could be I could do this in a meme. So Pastor Joe goes to me, Crazy Johnny, and there's, you know, a go-between and and he every time I try to say something, he keeps interrupting me. And he's conflating, you know, Eastern mysticism and all these things with with the truth. And it was driving me crazy in my mind. And I had this kind of back and forth in my head. I'm like, I have to tell him the truth. So I'm having this discussion, but he's crazy Johnny and well, you know, what if I tick the guy off? So uh, and it was a small room <laughs> so I, I don't think I'd get up and run real quickly so uh, so he, I, just, I couldn't take it anymore I said bro, bro you came here because you wanted me to tell you the truth about spiritual matters and I'm trying to do that but you keep interrupting me so I go through point by point and I stop and he looks at me and his eyes get really big and in my mind I'm thinking alright this is where I die you know <laughs> He's going to rip my limbs off and beat me with my own limbs. And uh, he gets eyes get really big. He smiles, and he opens up his hand, and it looked like a catcher's mitt. It was so big. So he goes, Pastor Joe, that was beautiful. He goes to, I put my hand to shake his hand, and my hand disappeared. But at the end of the uh, experience, I said to myself, I'm going to live another day. Praise God, you know. But that's a small scale. I mean, Christians overseas and the stuff they deal with, um, they just love God and they love the Lord and they want to share the truth of salvation and, and they get, they get persecuted for it. It's very tough. But, so verse four through twelve, right? It's two out of four is the ministry template for today, question mark, right? Is this what's going on in churches? Well, it should be. And that's why we always have Bibles in front of you. And, you know, when I read a portion of scripture, it's up on the, um, the projector screen because we want you to see the truth, right? And if we're twisting the words, then you can see that we're not doing the right thing. So we all are in harmony. And this is the way the early church did things. They opened up the word. You can go into any matter of churches today and they don't even use the scripture. I mean, they're talking about politics from the pulpit, and all kinds of other things. So, you know, it's very important that we're grounded in the word of God, uh, which is really timeless. So verse 5, he says, we didn't use flattering words nor a cloak for covetousness. What is the, what's the connection? Remember Aesop's fable? Remember the fox and the crow, right? The fox used flattery to get the crow to drop the piece of cheese. Um, and then the fox took the piece of cheese, which was his motive all along. So he said, we didn't use flattery as a cloak for covetousness. And you can find this in some ministries. You know, you're going, you're on the channel and it's supposedly all the preachers and, or you're on the internet and they say these just really weird things to get your money. They'll flatter you. Well, God will do this for you if you just give me $200. So Paul's saying, you know, that's a, that's a bad ministry model and we never practice it. Uh, so, you know, I even say today when I do the altar call and ask somebody to come up and receive Jesus, I always say, what do I always say? No strings attached, no money, no nothing. Just come up and receive Jesus and and l- enjoy your life with him. So no flattery, uh, not to be covetous, uh, you know, just to to tell the truth. In verse six, he says, we didn't seek glory from men. Now, that's another reason why, it's another dysfunctional reason why some are in ministry, because I have all these faces looking at me. Well, if that's your motive for doing this, it's obviously a bad motive, right? To get glory from men or women or, you know, to hopefully get on TV and you have all these people looking at you. It's it's really an ego thing. Paul said, hey, we didn't do that either, right? One by one, you start eliminating some of these ministries that are out there today, he says, we might have even made demands as apostles of Christ. Now, what does that mean? It means that, hey, you know, you're starting up this church. Uh, the apostle Paul has got Timothy there and Silas. And, you know, Paul's starting a church in Philippi. He's Berea. He's just preaching the gospel to whoever will listen. He's a very busy man. He could have made a demand as an apostle of Christ and said, listen, you got to take a collection for me. I'm working day and night. And... Um, you know, I'm doing this for, for God's glory, but he didn't do that, right? He didn't do that. It said that he did labor, to toil day and night. And uh, the Apostle Paul, you could say today he was like a handyman or maybe a carpenter or, uh, you know, he was a tent maker. So he would go out during portions of the day and, and earn something to feed himself and take care of himself. But then he would also go, he was a single man, so then he would go and he would minister to the churches and grow them. So he says, I didn't ask for anything from any of you. You guys know this. I didn't do that to one person. You know, and I, I look at our sort of denomination at Calvary Chapel. We do that too, right? We, you know, we usually get people to go out and they, so I was a police officer, right? Uh, Pastor Paul was a letter carrier. Pastor Vinny was a teacher and a coach. And then, you know, we did our studies and, you know, we get ordained. And eventually we leave the secular job and become, you know i don't say full time pastors cuz as a pastor you're always full time uh so you have this going on and i find it interesting is actually last week i got an email lovely family that was here for many years knows the word of god they actually moved overseas to their home country and they're looking for a good church and she sends me this really big email really long email about some of the things that they're preaching some of the control issues how they're using the scripture to control people and she said what do you think and I said, well, if you're quoting exactly what's being said, I, and is so, it's so, it's funny, but it's not funny, is that I was actually studying for today's sermon when the email came in. I'm like, wow, this is like confirmation. So I went through point by point by point, and I said, honestly, if they do this, it's, it's, I'm right here in the second chapter of Thessalonians, you might want to pray about finding another church, right? Churches shouldn't, we should pray for people, P R A Y, but we shouldn't be praying, P-R-E-Y, on people. And pauls this is a great mi- template for ministry for any church, right? Whatever church you go to, are they doing this or are they not doing this? Uh, verse 7, we were gentle like nursing mothers cherished their own children. Now, some people who've heard of the Apostle Paul but never really read his works said, Wow, how tender. <laughs> I heard he was this tough. Listen, he was tough for for the traveling he had to do and the tent making and the day and night and, you know, starting the ministry and then going to work and then maybe a little sleep. He was a tough guy, but he also was tender in heart and, you know, sort of that dual nature. And that's a great nature to have because God has that nature. He's firm, right? He doesn't tolerate sin, but he also sent his son to die for our sins so that we could have fellowship with him. He, he, he provided a way out for us sinners. Thank God. So we can, he can enjoy eternity with him. This is exciting stuff. It's all good stuff, right? Uh, so continuing on, verse eight, he says, affectionately longing for you, we imparted not only the gospel of God to you, but we imparted our own lives because you were dear to us. So Paul, it's like, you know, it's, it's one of those things when you're involved in ministry, you can't be cold, but it happens because you get involved with people's lives. They tell you about their their cancer treatments. They tell you about their kids. You know, you're watching their kids and their kids are sick and they're asking you to pray for them, their marriages. How do you not have a heart for the people? And it's not just the, the leadership, it's it's you with each other, Right right? How do we look at each other? How do we treat each other? And Paul's, Paul basically said, I'm paraphrasing. Paul's basically saying, I don't know you that long, but I've fallen in love with all of you. That's my paraphrase, if I was to do a paraphrase Bible. Uh, but so that's that's what I see going on. And again, verse 9, we labor, labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to you. Versus some of these people we see on the internet that are money-grubbing, money-hungry. I don't have enough private planes, so send me another $500. It's sick. It's, it's not <laughs> what we read in Scripture. It's not, right? So he develops a family love for them. Um, and again, John 13, 35, Jesus says that the world will know you. How? by right you're mouthing it by your you can say it out loud if i ask a question you can you know <laughs> so by your love for each other and that also includes when some when new people come in and they're checking out the church and they're considering the ch- church are we loving them and maybe they're brand new and they keep coming back have we accepted them into our spiritual family i've seen churches that are like cliques like as soon as you walk in the door you feel that you're not welcome Nobody looks at you, they turn their heads. This is sort of like a little click thing that we have in our social community. That's not a church, right? So, man, I could, maybe next time I'll go through kind of the 10 points that he espouses. Hey, that's a good idea. I'm going to remember that. Um, And just all these points about what a healthy ministry looks like. Um, I've seen churches where, you know, they're fighting with each other, there's factions, right? Does each group has this... This favorite pastor and another group has... Or, or this doctrine and the other group has another... And they're just always at war with each other. That's not what a church is supposed to look like. Uh, so there's a lot of do's and there's a lot of don'ts in here, right? I've, I'll be honest with you, I started a... You know, when I started this church and uh, I don't know, maybe 21 years ago I was ordained. And, uh, you know, just seeing some of the kids that would come in, five, six, seven years old... Some 20 years later, 21 years, boy, I feel old. You know, these little eight-year-old girls, and now they're 28. Pastor Joe, would you do my wedding? Oh, my goodness, where did the time go? You're getting married, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, it's, it's an exciting thing to see the, the children grow up in the church. I didn't have, I wasn't afforded that when I was younger, right? But God did make up those lost years for me. But it's so neat watching these kids come in and growing up in the Lord and then asking me, what an honor. I never ask anybody because I don't think it's, that's right of me. It's presumptuous. But when I'm asked, I feel, I feel honored to do it. It's like, you know, they're part of that spiritual family. It's exciting. So a lot of neat stuff going on. Verse 10 through 12, he says, you are witnesses and God also. God's, God is my witness. So I, I try not to, it's so funny in my personal life. Like I, I stopped before I was saved. Like I swear to God, like you say all these dumb things, you know, and they're just, they, they can be disrespectful. So if somebody says to me, are you, are you sure? You know, whatever. You saw this or you heard this. I'm like, as God is my witness. I try to just follow what it says in Scripture. God, I'm telling you, and He's hearing me, and He's seeing me, and He was there when I heard it. So as God is my witness. So it's kind of neat stuff, right? Uh, where was I? <laughs> so he says, your witnesses and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behave ourselves among you who believe. As you know, we exhorted We comforted, we charged every one of you as a father does his own children. This is neat. So he uses the mother cherishing children analogy. Now he's using the spiritual father analogy, which is neat because moms and dads bring different things to the table. Great analogies. Verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own glory and kingdom, which is the goal, right? Can everybody say this with a clear conscience? You know, in Matthew 28, Jesus says to make disciples of the nations. He tells his followers, you know, it's really close to the point where he's going to be ascending into heaven. And he says to them to go out and make disciples of the nations. What does that mean? Right? Oh, I told somebody about Jesus and that's great. But discipleship is to really be involved in somebody's life in in a positive way. Discipleship is sort of like teacher... Uh, mentor with a student kind of idea, and we're going to get a little bit more into that. You know, I have people that, uh, <laughs> that they, a lot of people have left this church to move to other states where the taxes are lower, and they try to entice me, and I know they mean well, this is, you know, you should come over the, to this state and this town, you don't have to pay property taxes or, you know, state tax, and it's so tempting, but then I'd have to leave all you guys, so... So, I have to kind of weigh it out. Um, maybe if we could all agree on a state and a town in that state, we can kind of all go together. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> so, but it is funny, right? It's like, no, this is, this is, God would have to make it clear for me to leave here. He would have to make it crystal clear. I love this. I love doing this. I love teaching. I love watching your kids grow up. Um, I love watching you start your lives. You know, it's a personal thing. So continuing on, verse 12, again, he says, our desire is that you would walk worthy of God. And it's exciting, you know, um, when you pour into somebody's life like in this church, uh, you, you know, after a few years, a person, they get, their walk starts to get better with the Lord, they start to volunteer, they start to grow, you know, you see some of their talents. Uh, and I'm blessed, right? In, in a few Sundays, we're going to have almost is five people on the worship team, they're almost all young adults and they all they're talented and I can't wait to see that, right? Um even folks who come in who are middle aged and, and older and they're like, you know, I've I've I'm excited, you know, you've taught me wow well, to, to invest in other people. So as, as older people, I'm sort of on the cusp, right? I'm sort of those middle years, is that as we get older that we kind of download that information into the youth. Right, so there's always, you know, as we get older, I, I'm, my sight is not as great, my hearing, I forget where I put my keys all the time. My wife and I always have this discussion, and we have these little—it's like a little kind of statue, and they're cats, and their tails go up, and it's it's metal, and it goes right by the door, and you're supposed to put your keys on the cat tails. So she'll go, "Did you put your keys on the cat tails?" I'm like, "If I did, I would have found them by now." So I—I'm right, way off the topic. Oh, I know what it was. <laughs> so what happens is, as you get older, see, I forgot it, but it, at 56, it does come back. So I, I do like that part. All right, hurry up before you lose it again. So the thing is, as you get older, you, you, get, you receive joy in, in teaching, it's, and not just the youth, right? I could have somebody who comes to the Lord at 70 and is asking me all these questions, which is great. So I'm teaching them as well. But it's an exciting thing. And actually, if you look at psychological studies, he finds that, you know, there's less of a chance of even getting dementia when you're active. When you're active physically, right? When you're active, you know, psychologically, and even taking the spiritual thing and putting it aside, you know, you, you live a better, you know, later years, so to speak. I'm trying to be careful with my words. Uh, but but it's, it's a good thing. Okay, we'll move on from there. Verse 13, he says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Now this is a sort of a big run-on sentence here, but it's neat. He says, Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Welcomed the word of God, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, which also effectively the word of God works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. I'll explain all that. But three out of four is the disciple is not above their teacher. Right? Important. Now, we see discipleships, I'll, I'll, I'll do more with this, in various disciplines big one is martial arts right martial arts you (laughs) i got a i got an amen up there you live it you breathe it you sleep it you fellowship it you this is it's it's a lifestyle person is teaching you Uh, we also see it in the trades plumbers and electricians and they go to the meetings and they you know there's a lot of things they discuss about safety and um so there's that and uh, again, I was a police officer. I was a training officer for some 13 years. I was a, an FTO, field training officer. I was very proud to do that. I would get the young rookies coming out of the academy and I would teach them, first of all, how to stay alive. And I was sort of like a parent with them because the last few years I was in my late 40s and they were in my 20s. They were in their 20s, so I, I kind of thought of them like my, my kids. And uh, even if we had to serve a, sort of a high risk warrant, kick the door in, I would sometimes, a lot of times, my wife's hearing this for the first time, I would volunteer to be in the front because I don't want them to get heard. (laughs) I know, they're younger than me, they're stronger than me, but they don't have that knowledge yet. So discipleship is a funny thing because it really is a teacher-student type of relationship. And depending on what your discipline is, right? You become very good at it over time, and you want to teach the younger ones. Isn't this amazing? Jesus's principles. Of course, now we take it into the spiritual realm, because that's the most important. It's great what you do for a living, and what you're into on the side, but most importantly is that you know God. You know him as your father. You know him as your savior, that you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven. He's made it easy to trust in the sacrifice that his son made, and then if the Lord tarries another 10 or 15 years, you start to grow in that faith and that knowledge where you actually can start to affect other people as well. So it's really an exciting thing, this, this, this thing that takes place. Um, and even, let's go back to the Apostle Paul, he's giving them a legal term, full disclosure. He's like, you know what? Eternity is great. Relationship with God is awesome. However, full disclosure you 're going to suffer persecution and sometimes from people in your own in your own social strata or your own family. Jesus told us that, but it 's worth it it 's absolutely worth it. Um, you know I, I was asked there was a time I got ordained I was still in uniform i didn 't get ordained in uniform, but I was still a police officer, and there was a few years I had to go to hit my retirement, and then i I would just be having one Career, two of them's plenty. Uh, but people would ask me, which is more challenging? And I would say, being a pastor. Really? I mean, I handled murder calls. I handled, I handled big stuff. Um, I got awards for it and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when I would go home at night and take off my uniform and go back to being, you know, just Joe, right? That was it until my next shift. But being a pastor, it doesn't end. You know, during the day God brings someone to my mind and I'll pray for them. You know, people go through tragedies. A relative just passed away. You know, I would like to make arrangements for a funeral. There's so many things. It's just sort of 24-7, right? Ask the pastors. Uh, Sometimes we we laugh sometimes when people think we just work on Sundays. (laughs) That was a genuine laugh. Um, You have no idea what goes on during the week. Even... It's funny too because you know, my son and I drive different places. I used to have a, an anger problem, especially on the road, like road rage. And he sees it now. You know, somebody, it's just people are just ignorant on the road. They'll cut you off. They'll fly up behind you. And I'll just smile and I'll pull over to the, the shoulder. I'm like, you're more important than me. Get ahead of me. It'll take me another thirty seconds to get home. I'm just everything I do, right, is can be under a microscope. And God is looking at that too. So I have to set an example here. And I also have to set an example in my personal life. Amen? So even Paul was saying that. When I'm out of the pulpit, Paul was saying, you know, I'm still trying to set that example. Let me tell you something, it's not easy. But things that are impossible in our own self are possible with God. And that's why when you're in this position or even volunteering in the children's ministry, anything... Working in the uh, in the sound booth in the back, you know, we need to rely on God because this is it's a spiritual endeavor. So it's pretty exciting as he you know he talks about this um, verse thirteen. He said that the Thessalonians or the Thessalonians received God's word, they welcomed God's word, they let God's word work in them, uh, they imitated the churches based on God's word, and they ended up suffering because of that newfound faith. And what Paul was saying to them is, it's normal. It's normal. And this is why I don't like these ministries that, you know, they're just so fancy and and they tell you all these platitudes and maybe because of what they have, they can be insulated from a lot of things that we're not. Um, And I have people that come here to this church from being in the prosperity gospel, Say, oh yeah, just uh, you know, say it ten times, and the Lord will give you the, the mansion on the cul-de-sac, like all these ridiculous, like you know, God's like a genie in the bottle, come out. Oh, I need something from you, Lord. Isn't how it works? As it, pr- prayer has been often referred to, is not prayer is not our desire to get God to do our will. Prayer over time is to understand how we can do God's will because He's God, right? Warren Wiersbe talks about the Word of God. I mean, he's passed away now. Uh, He's gone to be with the Lord. In his book, Be Ready, he says this. If you only saw things that are going on now. On page 58, he said, Too many churches have substituted entertainment for the practicing of God's Word. And many people no longer welcome the Word of God. The Word of God is foreign to a lot of Americans. They've never seen it. They've never heard it. And they could be churchgoers. Here's the thing, you can't improve upon perfection. So I don't need to reinvent the wheel. I don't need to redo, here's God's word, and hey, we're just going to now do it Pastor Joe's way. It doesn't work like that. We need to stick with the word of God. That's where all the answers are found. Um, so here's the exciting thing, is that the Apostle Paul, th- there's, he's just been hindered, right? There's this been this spiritual attack on him. And every time he physically tries to get to Thessalonica to see the Thessalonians, he's, he's, he's hindered. And it's, it's, you could see his heart in his words. Wait till the next chapter. Because he really wants to physically get there and comfort them and teach them and grow them. And he's not sure what's happening because there's no Facebook, you know, there's no internet, there's no, you know, cell phones and, and FaceTime, right? So it's he's part of him is agonizing because they're so new, and he's concerned that Satan will try to steal what they have and get them to just kind of peter out, to just kind of dissipate and no more church. And then he finds when he sends he sent Timothy, Timothy comes back and he says, he goes the apostle, apostle Paul. I don't know the conversation, but I can imagine him saying. You, you wouldn't believe it. And they're doing so good. And oh my goodness. And they're suffering persecution. But they're weathering it well. And you can see the Apostle Paul get so excited. And he's, what he's doing is he's, he's sharing these letters. But a lot of it is, is historical. This is what I heard. The good report. And let me tell how, how happy I am. And I didn't get to go there as much as I wanted to. I was hindered. Sometimes through imprisonment, right? Um, just for preaching the gospel. But... I never stopped loving you. So, a lot of good stuff going on here. Uh, He he had joy, uh, the joy for them. And just the last part of the verse in 16, 16b, so people say that, Pastor Joe, what's all the details with the Judeans? And, you know, you're not allowed to speak to the Gentiles. And, you know, the, the measure of their sins have been built up. And this is sort of maybe possible comfort where, see, we have this thing too in American culture, especially with, technology, right? You think that, well, if everyone's against you, right, you, you take a stand on something, could be social media, could be your, your peer group, your professional peer group, and you know, you know that this is the right thing, and this is the stand to take, because it's just right in the Lord's eyes, and you're just getting all this blowback, right? People tend to think, they start to question themselves, second-guess themselves, they start to wonder, am I really on the side of God? I feel like I'm losing all my friends here, um, you know, sometimes when we're, when we're being persecuted, and if you're old enough, you've had this happen to you, you wonder if you're on the side of right or not. Right? Am I on the correct side? Because it doesn't feel that way. That's where the danger comes in. Because you start to feel isolated. You start to feel, uh, picked on. You, 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 you know, you really want to do right by God, and it's so unfair because I'm trying to do right and they're taking it the wrong way. So what Paul is saying to them, listen, it happened to the, the believers in Judea. Um, even the Apostle Paul was imprisoned in Philippi, him and uh, Silas, and they were beaten and then released. Um, he's just saying to them, you're doing, you're doing everything right, even the persecution you're suffering. Sort of was a, a learning curve for a very new church, but they were handling it so well. So neat stuff there. Verse 17, Continue on, last few verses, he says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our crown, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you, In the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, for you are our glory and our joy. Four out of four is unbreakable spiritual bonds. Right? Take the entirety of the letter, again, being hindered. Sometimes we know the hindering was from the authorities. Sometimes we know that there were different factions who heard the truth and then they started arguing amongst themselves and it started, believe it or not, it started a riot. So, you know, riots started a long time ago. Uh, it's when there's social confusion, when there's social unrest, there's social, uh, they're not in agreement. These things start to erupt, right? So this is what happened to him. And I would say to you as well, that when you're doing it right, you will have no choice but to spiritually and emotionally and psychologically invest in other people. You know, I've had a very, I don't know how many friends how many friends? I actually asked uh, permission to use this and, you know, Drew, right? He was born a week from, from my son's birthday and, and he developed this horrible condition and he passed away at 19. And that was probably one of the hardest funerals I've ever done. But you know what? I still see his face, right? I still, <laughs> I still know it's, with every second, I'm getting closer to seeing him. I know the Lord's taking good care of him. Um, I could probably not get my heart broken if I don't. And some pastors do this. They become very callous. I can't do that. I can't do that. Not going to the hospital and after the surgeries. And, um, I know I'm going to see him again. And it's an amazing thing that I'm going to see so many people in the kingdom that to us, oh, they're gone, but it's only a temporary situation. But, right? But with, with the, uh, with the Thessalonians, even if Paul never got to see them again, that, he would see them in the kingdom. And maybe, what's, what are we going to do when we're in heaven? I tell Heather, I said, you know, God doesn't need police officers. He doesn't need pastors. We're right in God's presence now. I'm pretty handy. I fix a lot of things. Probably nothing gets broken in heaven. I said, I'll be happy to hold the door. Seriously. I'll be like, welcome, you know, Jesus. And then he's like, oh, there's the welcoming. Hey, welcome. I can do that, right? So... i get get to rest too but it's just going to be an exciting thing seeing who comes into the kingdom isn't that exciting right uh so it's 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 good stuff we're gonna i think we're just going to be heaven's going to be a great place the new heaven and new earth is going to be so exciting and um you know that's what it's all about right because this world man just read the paper is it getting better it's not socially it's not getting better you know topography uh, natural disasters, wars, people are always fighting about stupid stuff. And I think the age of technology is causing us social, socially to become more distant from each other. Right? You ever see on social media people send these nasty things, clicky, clicky fingers on the keyboards, that they would never say if they were in that person's presence. Right? You, you're saying it. Technology is stealing the social fabric of our culture. Now, do we need it? Do we have to live in this world? Of course we do. But we can get so engrossed. And that's how you look at a lot of the profiles of these, sadly enough, shootings all the time now in America, right? Now they're even in houses of worship. Um, and you, you start to, they do the investigation. And they look at the person's behavior. And a lot of the stuff they posted on social media, these these per, these people are an accident waiting to happen. They're so disconnected. That's why it's so important for us to make, right? What, what are we taught in Christianity? Make contacts. I love being introduced to the wayward person, to the angry person. I love being introduced to the, the grumpy person, uh, the person who doesn't get along with anyone else because I feel like it's an honor to try to talk to them and, and have some common ground. And, and when I'm successful, right? We had, we had a situation uh, at an event a few months back I had people come around me and go, What did you say? I said, I just started talking to the guy, you know, and we, we shook hands and we laughed. And I'm like, Some people just, I don't know, maybe they have the exterior where others just feel like they're unapproachable. But, you know, and, and I'll pray. In my mind, I'll say, Okay, Lord, this looks like a tough one. And in my mind, I'll say, You know, give me the words, give me the wisdom. Help me not to offend the person, at least right away. Um, And, you know, you kind of use that to to build bridges with people. And that's what America needs. You know, according to the politician, America needs money for everything. And war on drugs, war on cancer, war on this, war on that. We're still fighting those wars. Billions and trillions of dollars. You know, the world needs Jesus. And, and people say, they'll say to me, Pastor Joe, that's an oversimplification. I said, no, it's not. How much time do you have? Let's talk about this. Let's talk about it socially. Let's talk about, you know, all the things that I just spoke about in the last five minutes. You're not solving it with your secular humanism and you're throwing money at everything. It's not, it's not solving anything. The world needs Christ. He's the Savior. He's the Prince of Peace. But then why is there so little peace? Because the world has ejected the Prince of Peace for our own intelligence, our own intelligence and our own philosophies, and it's not working. So last part of this, Spiritual Parenthood, verse 19. I love this. It happens to be the last verse, or the second to two verses, right? 19 and 20. You find the Apostle Paul speak about what's called spiritual crowns in other letters. And he says, you know, the crown of life, right? There's different crowns that, you know, your activities on the earth bring such glory to God that you can, I guess, get these spiritual crowns. But according to Revelation 4 and 5, even the, you know, the, the elders and the apostles, they took their crowns and laid it at the Lord's feet because he gave them the gifts to get those crowns, right? So it's kind of a circular thing. So here he's saying, you're my crown. You're my joy, Right, and, and maybe as a new Christian, I did this too in, in our immaturity. We're like, oh, I want this crown. I want that crown when I get to heaven. I just want to get in the door. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just want to get in the door and meet people, right? Um, I don't need the crowns. And Paul's kind of saying the same thing. He's saying to the Thessalonians, you brought me so much joy by your growth and the way you're handling tribulation. doesn't mean they were perfect. He goes, you're my crown." You know, all I need is knowing that you guys are doing really well. In these last few verses, joy and, re- and rejoice are used three times. And I looked at Merriam-Webster and, I, you know, sometimes like I know what the word means, but let me just see if I get a fuller meaning. I found this one. Out of all the, the meanings, and it, they're all similar with some nuances. In the American Psychiatric Association, believe it or not, this is what they said about joy, quote, feeling of extreme gladness, delight or exaltation of the spirit arising from a sense of well being or satisfaction, end quote. I like that one. I'm going to save that one. Right? And, you know, my pastor would say as as we close, I just remember coming to the church, the Calvary Chapel, and he would say, you know, you want to find if you're looking for joy and you want to find fulfillment. He said, if you focus on yourself all the time, it'll just lead to depression. God didn't design us that way. He designed us to to be other-centered, to, you know, to pour into others. I was poured in. I was a difficult person when I first came to Christ. Extremely difficult. I'm amazed that my mentors even stuck around. So, but I just know, looking back now in my maturity, what they did for me, and I want to do that for others, and that brings me joy, right? It brings us joy. I mean, even as a parent, you teach your kids or somebody else's kids. They don't have to be even your kids. And, and they start going the right way. You're excited about it. However, let me just say this as we close, is that this is the way the relationships were designed by God to bring us fulfillment and joy. Amen? Amen. But the first step is actually coming to Christ, knowing who your Lord and Savior is. Once that relationship, that's the primary relationship, once that happens, then the other ones flow freely from that relationship.